Chapter 17 through 18 of Irenaeus Against Heresies, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. Irenaeus Against Heresies, Book 3. Translated by Alexander Roberts and William H. Rombeau. Chapter 17. The Apostles teach that it was neither Christ nor the Savior, but the Holy Spirit, who did descend upon Jesus. The reason for this descent. 1. It certainly was in the power of the Apostles to declare that Christ descended upon Jesus, or that the so-called superior Savior came down upon the dispensational one, or he who is from the invisible places, upon him from the demiurge, but they neither knew nor said anything of the kind, for, had they known it, they would have also certainly stated it. But what really was the case, that did they record, namely, that the Spirit of God as a dove descended upon him, this Spirit, of whom it was declared by Isaiah, and the Spirit of God shall rest upon him, as I have already said, and again, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me. That is the Spirit of whom the Lord declares, For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And again, giving to the disciples the power of regeneration into God, he said to them, Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. For God promised, that in the last times he would pour him, the Spirit, upon his servants and handmaids, that they might prophesy. Wherefore he did also descend upon the Son of God, made the Son of Man, becoming accustomed in fellowship with him to dwell in the human race, to rest with human beings, and to dwell in the workmanship of God, working the will of the Father in them, and renewing them from their old habits into the newness of Christ. 2. This Spirit did David ask for the human race, saying, Establish me with thine all-governing Spirit who also, as Luke says, descended at the day of Pentecost upon the disciples after the Lord's ascension, having power to admit all nations to the entrance of life, and to the opening of the new covenant, from whence also, with one accord in all languages, they uttered praise to God, the Spirit bringing distant tribes to unity, and offering to the Father the firstfruits of all nations. Wherefore also the Lord promised to send the Comforter, who should join us to God. For as a compacted lump of dough cannot be formed of dry wheat without fluid matter, nor can a loaf possess unity, so in like manner neither could we, being many, be made one in Christ Jesus without the water from heaven. And as dry earth does not bring forth unless it receive moisture, in like manner we also, being originally a dry tree, could never have brought forth fruit unto life without the voluntary rain from above. For our bodies have received unity among themselves, by means of that layer which leads to incorruption, but our souls, by means of the Spirit. Wherefore both are necessary, since both contribute towards the life of God, our Lord compassionating that erring Samaritan woman, who did not remain with one husband, but committed fornication by contracting many marriages, by pointing out and promising to her living water, so that she should thirst no more, nor occupy herself in acquiring the refreshing water obtained by labor, 
having in herself water springing up to eternal life the lord receiving this as a gift from his father does himself also confer upon those who are partakers of himself sending the holy spirit upon all the earth three gideon that israelite whom god chose that he might save the people of israel from the power of foreigners foreseeing this gracious gift changed his request and prophesied that there would be dryness upon the fleece of wool a type of people on which alone at first there had been dew thus indicating that they should no longer have the holy spirit from god as saith isaias i will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it but that the dew which is the spirit of god who descended upon the lord should be diffused throughout all the earth the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and piety the spirit of the fear of god this spirit again he did confer upon the church sending throughout all the world the comforter from heaven from whence also the lord tells us that the devil like lightning was cast down wherefore we have need of the dew of god that we be not consumed by fire nor be rendered unfruitful and that where we have an accuser there may be also an advocate the lord commending to the holy spirit his own man who had fallen among thieves whom he himself compassionated and bound up his wounds giving two royal denaria so that we receiving by the spirit the image and subscription of the father and the son might cause the denarium entrusted to us to be fruitful counting out the increase thereof to the lord four the spirit therefore descending under the predestined dispensation and the son of god the only begotten who is also the word of the father coming in the fullness of time having become incarnate in man for the sake of man and fulfilling all the conditions of human nature our lord jesus christ being one and the same as he himself the lord doth testify as the apostles confess and as the prophets announce all the doctrines of these men who have invented putative ogdoads and tetrads and imagined subdivisions of the lord's person have been proved falsehoods these men do in fact set the spirit aside altogether they understand that christ was one and jesus another and they teach that there was not one christ but many and if they speak of them as united they do again separate them for they show that one did indeed undergo sufferings but that the other remained impassable that the one truly did ascend to the pleroma but the other remained in the intermediate place that the one does truly feast and revel in places invisible and above all name but that the other is seated with the demiurge emptying him of power it will therefore be incumbent upon thee and all others who give their attention to this writing and are anxious about their own salvation not readily to express acquiescence when they hear abroad the speeches of these men for speaking things resembling the doctrine of the faithful as i have already observed not only do they hold opinions which are different but absolutely contrary and in all points full of blasphemies by which they destroy those persons who by reasons of the resemblance of the words imbibe a poison which disagrees with their constitution just as it is one giving lime mixed with water for milk should mislead by the solemnitude of the color as a man superior to me has said concerning all that in any way corrupt the things of god and adulterate the truth lime is wickedly mixed with the milk of god chapter eighteen 
continuation of the foregoing argument proves from the writings of st paul and from the other words of our lord that christ and jesus cannot be considered as distinct beings neither can it be alleged that the son of god became man merely in appearance but that he did so truly and actually one as it has been clearly demonstrated that the word who existed in the beginning with god by whom all things were made who was also always present with mankind was in these last days according to the time appointed by the father united to his own workmanship inasmuch as he became a man liable to suffering it follows that every objection is set aside of those who say if our lord was born at that time christ had therefore no previous existence for i have shown that the son of god did not begin to exist being with the father from the beginning but when he became incarnate and was made man he commenced afresh the long line of human beings and furnished us in a brief comprehensive manner with salvation so that what we had lost in adam namely to be according to the image and likeness of god that we might recover in christ jesus two for as it was not possible that the man who had once for all been conquered and who had been destroyed through disobedience could reform himself and obtain the prize of victory and as it was also impossible that he could attain to salvation who had fallen under the power of sin the son effected both these things being the word of god descending from the father becoming incarnate stooping low even to death and consummating the arranged plan of our salvation upon whom paul exhorting us unhesitatingly to believe again says who shall ascend into heaven that is to bring down christ or who shall descend into the deep that is to liberate christ again from the dead then he continues if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the lord jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that god hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved and he renders the reason why the son of god did these things saying for to this end christ both lived and died and revived that he might rule over the living and the dead and again writing to the corinthians he declares but we preach christ jesus crucified and adds the cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of christ three but who is it that has had fellowship with us in the matter of food whether it is he who is conceived of by them as the christ above who extended himself through horos and imparted a form to their mother or is it he who is from the virgin emmanuel who did eat butter and honey of whom the prophet declared he is also man and who shall know him he was likewise preached by paul for i delivered he said unto you first of all that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures it is plain then that paul knew no other christ besides him alone who both suffered and was buried and rose again who was also born and whom he speaks of as a man for after remarking but if christ be preached that he rose from the dead he continues rendering the reason of his incarnation for since by man came death by man came also the resurrection of the dead and everywhere when referring to the passion of our lord and to his human nature and his subjection to death he employs the name of christ as in this passage destroy not him with thy meat for whom christ died and again 
but now in christ ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of christ and again christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is every one that hangeth upon a tree and again and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom christ died indicating that the impassable christ did not descend upon jesus but that he himself because he was jesus christ suffered for us he who lay in the tomb and rose again who descended and ascended the son of god having been made the son of man as the very name itself doth declare for in the name of christ is implied that he anoints that he is anointed and the unction itself with which he is anointed and it is the father who anoints but the son who is anointed by the spirit who is the unction as the word declares by isaiah the spirit of the lord is upon me because he hath anointed me pointing out both the anointing father the anointed son and the unction which is the spirit four the lord himself too makes it evident who it was that suffered for when he asked the disciples who do men say that i the son of man am and when peter had replied thou art the christ the son of the living god and when he had been commended by him in these words that flesh and blood had not revealed it to him but the father who is in heaven he made it clear that he the son of man is christ the son of the living god for from that time forth it is said he began to show to his disciples how that he must go into jerusalem and suffer many things of the priests and be rejected and crucified and rise again the third day he who was acknowledged by peter as christ who pronounced him blessed because the father had revealed the son of the living god to him said that he must himself suffer many things and be crucified and then he rebuked peter who imagined that he was the christ as the generality of men supposed that the christ should be and was averse to the idea of his suffering and said to the disciples if any man will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whosoever will save his life shall lose it and whosoever will lose it for my sake shall save it for these things christ spoke openly he being himself the saviour of those who should be delivered over to death for their confession of him and lose their lives five if however he was himself not to suffer but should fly away from jesus why did he exhort his disciples to take up the cross and follow him that cross which these men represent him as not having taken up but speaking of him as having relinquished the dispensation of suffering for that he did not say this with reference to the acknowledging of the stauros cross above as some among them venture to expound but with respect to the suffering which he should himself undergo and that his disciples should endure he implies when he says for whosoever will save his life shall lose it and whosoever will lose it shall find it and that his disciples must suffer for his sake he implied when he said to the jews behold i send you prophets and wise men and scribes and some of them ye shall kill and crucify and to the disciples he was wont to say and ye shall stand before governors and kings for my sake and they shall scourge some of you and slay you and persecute you from city to city he knew therefore both those who should suffer persecution and he knew those who should have to be scourged and slain because of him and he did not speak of any other cross but of the suffering which he should himself undergo first 
and his disciples afterwards. For this purpose he did give them this exhortation, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to send both soul and body into hell, thus exhorting them to hold fast those professions of faith which they had made in reference to him. For he promised to confess before his father those who should confess his name before men, but declared that he would deny those who should deny him, and would be ashamed of those who should be ashamed to confess him. And although these things are so, some of these men have proceeded to such a degree of temerity, that they even pour contempt upon the martyrs, and vituperate those who are slain on account of the confession of the Lord, and who suffer all things predicted by the Lord, and who in this respect strive to follow the footprints of the Lord's passion, having become martyrs of the suffering one. These we do also enroll with the martyrs themselves. For when the inquisition shall be made for their blood, and they shall attain to glory, then all shall be confounded by Christ, who have cast a slur upon their martyrdom. And from this fact, that he exclaimed upon the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The long-suffering, patience, compassion, and goodness of Christ are exhibited, since he both suffered, and did himself exculpate those who had maltreated him. For the word of God, who said to us, Love your enemies, and pray for those that hate you, himself did this very thing upon the cross, loving the human race to such a degree, that he even prayed for those putting him to death. If, however, any one, going upon the supposition there are two Christs, forms a judgment in regard to them, that Christ shall be found much the better one, and more patient, and the truly one, who in the midst of his own wounds and stripes, and the other cruelties inflicted upon him, was beneficent, and unmindful of the wrongs perpetrated upon him, than he who flew away, and sustained neither injury nor insult. 6. This also does likewise meet the case of those who maintain that he suffered only in appearance. For if he did not truly suffer, no thanks to him, since there was no suffering at all. And when we shall actually begin to suffer, he will seem as leading us astray, exhorting us to endure buffering, and to turn the other cheek, if he did not himself before us in reality suffer the same. And as he misled them by seeming to them what he was not, so does he also mislead us, by exhorting us to endure what he did not endure himself. In that case, we shall be even above the master, because we suffer and sustain what our master never bore or endured. But as our Lord is alone truly master, so the Son of God is truly good and patient, the word of God the Father having been made the Son of Man. For he fought and conquered, for he was a man contending for the fathers, and through obedience doing away with disobedience completely. For he bound the strong man and set free the weak, and endowed his own handiwork with salvation by destroying sin. For he is a most holy and merciful Lord, and loves the human race. 7. Therefore, as I have already said, he caused man, human nature, to cleave to and to become one with God. For unless man had overcome the enemy of man, the enemy would not have been legitimately vanquished. And again, unless it had been God who had freely given salvation, we could never have possessed it securely. And unless man had been joined to God, he could never have become a partaker of incorruptibility. For it was incumbent upon the mediator between God and men, by his relationship to both, 
to bring both to friendship and concord, and present man to God, while he revealed God to man. For in what way could we be partaken of the adoption of sons, unless we had received from him through the Son, that fellowship which refers to himself, unless his word, having been made flesh, had entered into communion with us? Wherefore also he passed through every stage of life, restoring to all communion with God. Those, therefore, who assert that he appeared putatively, and was neither born in the flesh nor truly made man, are as yet under the old condemnation, holding out patronage to sin. For, by their showing, death has not been vanquished, which reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them who had not sinned after the solemnitude of Adam's transgression. But the law coming, which was given by Moses, and testifying of sin that it is a sinner, did truly take away his, death's kingdom, showing that he was no king but a robber, and it revealed him as a murderer. It laid, however, a weighty burden upon man, who had sin in himself, showing that he was liable to death. For as the law was spiritual, it merely made sin to stand out in relief, but did not destroy it. For sin had no dominion over the spirit, but over man. For it behoved him who was to destroy sin, and redeem man under the power of death, that he should himself be made that very same thing which he was, that is, man, who had been drawn by sin into bondage, but was held by death, so that sin should be destroyed by man, and man should go forth from death. For as by the disobedience of the one man who was originally molded from virgin soil, the many were made sinners, and forfeited life. So was it necessary that, by the obedience of one man, who was originally born from a virgin, many should be justified and receive salvation. Thus then was the word of God made man, as also Moses says, God, true are his works. But if, not having been made flesh, he did appear as if flesh, his work was not a true one. But what he did appear, that he also was, God recapitulated in himself the ancient formation of man, that he might kill sin, deprive death of its power, and vivify man, and therefore his works are true. End of Book 3, Chapters 17-18